Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Seja Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. This weekend news on Eye on the Triangle. A brief rundown of the latest news. In local news, the Wake County Schools' decision to utilize outside educational consultation has yielded the latest submission for compromise. The plan, called Controlled Choice, was suggested yesterday by Massachusetts-based consultant Michael Alves. The plan would divide the district into several zones, residents of which rank their preferences within their zone, with the final decision coming from a computer program operated the school system, according to News 14. NC State Professor Christopher Brown yesterday returned a long-neglected, out-of-this-world artifact over to museum officials. The state of North Carolina's official moon rock was presented in 1973, and its travel travel history is foggy before 2003, when it turned up in a desk at the Department of Commerce. Brown said that turning the rock back over was for the best and is helping plan the new wing for the museum. Following Tuesday's flash flood warnings, most of the roads that were closed due to water levels were back open today. DOT inspectors traveled to yesterday's problem areas to assess potential damage after floodwaters took off part of the shoulder at the Beaver Creek Bridge in Apex. No other problems were found in the bridge, though undergoing repairs later this week is still safe to drive on. North Carolina is one of the 19 finalists vying for shares of a $3.4 billion grant. The state's $400 million proposal would involve the removal of principals at underperforming schools, new intended focus on developing more schools for math and sciences, and a program for new teachers similar to the nationwide program Teach for America, which operates by recruiting top college graduates from across the country. North Carolina will send representatives to the nation's capital August 9th for an interview with an advisory panel. The grant's 10 total recipients will be announced in September, according to the U.S. Department of Education. That wraps it up for this week's news on Eye on the Triangle. Stay tuned for sports. From the sidelines on Eye on the Triangle. Your weekly update on athletic events. To another episode of Eye on the Triangle Sports. Taylor Barber is in filling in for Tyler Everett this week. Taylor, can you talk a little bit about the preseason ACC rankings that the media just released this week for the upcoming football season? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, the annual kick- kickoff this year for the ACC football season just took place down in Greensboro this week. And the uh, preseason rankings by the media were released. And uh, for the Atlantic Division, Florida State was chosen to win, as Virginia Tech was also chosen to win the Coastal and to win overall in the ACC championships. For the local uh, affiliates here, NC State was uh, chosen to finish fourth in the Atlantic, while North Carolina was finished to fi- uh, picked to finish fourth in the Coastal. Okay. Well, what's your opinion on where both Carolina and NC State and Duke were ranked in the poll? Well, um, I think it was pretty pretty fair. Uh, I think NC State's was definitely pretty fair based on their schedule they have this year. They have some tough games against Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, plus a really tough non-conference schedule against Cincinnati going down to UC, uh, University of Central Florida. So I think theirs is, and with the lack of defense that they showed last year, I think that's very fair. I think the Carolina uh, being ranked fourth was a li- had some people upset, but I think a lot of the media was kind of scared based on the scandal that's going on in the NC double a violations and what they're really checking down there with some of the big players like marvin austin so i think that kind of scared some of the media to choose carolina and really i think 
they could have been ranked anywhere from one to four there. I think maybe, in my opinion, I might have ranked them above Georgia Tech. But, I mean, I think it's pretty fair of a uh, choice. And then for Duke, obviously, I think Duke was pretty uh, guaranteed pick there. I mean, they're definitely getting better under head coach Dave Cutcliffe, but they're still not there by any means. Okay. And so earlier today, the media released the first team, all ACC team. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, all three, uh, Duke, Carolina, and State, each had a representative. Uh, for NC State, uh, tight end George Bryan was elected uh, for the first team. And for Duke, they had uh, wide receiver Donovan Varner. And Carolina led the way, actually, of all uh, schools with five players, all of them on defense, including Marvin Austin, who has really been the main focus of the NC, uh, NCAA investigation everything like that. But still, um, Carolina led the way. And uh, quarterback um, for Florida State, uh, Christian Ponder, actually was chosen to be the ACC Player of the Year, which was one of the reasons NC State fans wouldn't see Russell Wilson up there on the first team all ACC. Okay. And football coach Tom O'Brien told the media that uh, sophomore cornerback Rashad Smith is out for the season. How will that impact State's defense this year? Uh, that's definitely going to take a put a major hurting on the uh, NC State defense. That's already coming in weak, especially in the secondary. Uh, sophomore Rashard Smith had played a couple games last year and was really going to be relied on heavily this year to uh, carry the secondary, which was already going to be a very weak position and one that they're going to really need to uh, have some people step up. And now that uh, Rashard Smith is out, who actually sustained the same, who sustained the same uh, knee injury that Tony Baker had sustained a couple years ago. So he'll definitely be out for the season. That already puts the uh, secondary hurting as they've lost Jarvis Bird from last year as well because of uh, injury he sustained against the North Carolina game. So um, that's definitely going to put the Carolina, uh, the NC State defense in a very big hole with because Rashard Smith was already penciled in the starter and uh, his backup Jordan Monk, who's also a sophomore, has only played in two games in his career. Okay, great. Thanks, Taylor. Um, before we take a short break. We just to give you guys an update. I on the Triangle is kind of doing something a little different uh, this week. We're kind of switching around the segments, so make sure to stay tuned when we get back. Hear this on I on the Triangle, your local music news. You're listening to Hear This on I on the Triangle with the movement of the municipal event Raleigh Wide Open from autumn to late summer, the last weekend of July. It means that it's also once again time for the Cherry Bounce Festival. Cherry Bounce, named for a libation the Raleigh City planners are rumored to enjoy in the 18th century as a festival which embraces the spirit of creativity and partying. Returning events include the AV Geek-hosted Tropical Party Beach Bounce Night. This year they'll be breaking in a new courtyard outside of CD's restaurant with a screening of Lord of the Flies as well as some vintage and nostalgic educational films on Friday evening, July 30th around 8.30. A new event on Thursday night will be the Love vs. Lust Cabaret as slam poets take on burlesque performers at 8.30 in the evening above Gravy on 135 South Wilmington Street. And a bona fide gouge wrestling professional bout for the Cherry Bounce Heavyweight Championship will be held on Saturday evening at 14 East Hargett Street, beginning at 5.15, as, as well as 7.30 in the evening. But at the heart of the Cherry Bounce is the Close Street on the Turf dance party also going on at 14 East Hargett Street outside of the Raleigh Times. The outdoor concert kicks off at 12.30 with the duo Jews and Catholics. On the phone is Eddie Garcia, who supplies the vocals and guitar. 
to Alana Meltzer's Upright Base. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Jews and Catholics are based in Winston-Salem. How did you get involved with the Raleigh-based festival like the Cherry Balance? You know, they actually just contacted us. Um, we had first heard about it when we were on the, um, oh my gosh, remember the, <laughs> so the um, sessions at Studio B, that like live series out of the, uh, the NBC studios in Raleigh. We um, we played on that, and um, the host mentioned, you know, I mentioned Terry Bounce was coming up. So I'm not sure if maybe he talked to somebody to get us added on there or not. But if so, we appreciate it. But, um, yeah, we just got a contact from Terry Bounce, and they asked us to play. And we were yeah, more than happy to, to get on the bill. If I was trying to describe Jews and Catholics to others, I would probably try to explain that you're a fusion of garage and post-punk music. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it's pretty fair. I mean, I've heard, like, lots of, you know, different things. Apparently, we're, like, in between lots of lots of different fields. Uh, but I think that's a pretty, pretty fair explanation. I think a lot of what we do, I mean, even though that is specific, it's still kind of a broad, broad way to describe our music. I think a lot of what we do has to do with, like, I guess, how we do it. With just being the two of us, it's kind of a, the instrumentation is a little different. expected with performers like man man and the hood internet last year a big highlight of the festival was the street dancing do you expect people to be doing more than just a shuffle back and forth this year uh yeah i hope so definitely and i, I mean especially when we play a lot of stuff from our new record which is um you know really really upbeat and really banging so um we are playing earlier in the day we're playing at 12 30 but um you know i guess we have a good breakfast and comes on down and takes us out you know has plenty of energy to You mentioned a new record, Who Are We Think We Are. That's your first full length, correct? Well, not really. Although that's been said, I think possibly even by a label, I'm not sure. Um, I think it's because our first um, CD has eight songs on it, but um, it's our first, you know, CD with, you know, a uh, label, 307 Knox Records out of Durham, and, you know, working with someone like uh, Mitch Easter, so having someone more involved with the recording process. Um, I mean, it feels like, although we've really, we have released two other records, but it definitely feels like kind of like our first, like a full-on statement of what, of what, what we're about. It's our most confident recording, I'd say, at this point. We've been together like five, about five years now, so. What brought you together? How did you all find each other? Well, I, you know, I just recently stopped playing in a more, you know, traditional, you know, four-piece band, and, um, I worked at a bookstore in Winston and had hired Alana, actually, I was a manager there. And I found out she played upright bass, and I had never played with an upright bassist before, so we decided to get together. And we uh, started off playing so acoustically at her mom's house a little bit, and we kind of hit it off, even though we both came from way different approaches. I mean, we both like, you know, some similar music, but she came from a classical music background and was used to, like, having, you know, scores in front of her, and, like, so, and I came from, you know, just, like, you know, banging out chords with people, in, like, storage spaces and stuff. And so, um, it was a little different way to meet in the middle and I had to like, you know, sometimes write out sheet music and it was like this kind of an interesting learning process for the both of us, I think, you know, when we first started, you know, writing. And now it's become this completely, you know, collaborative thing where we kind of just like know what we're doing and we're not really writing out any sheet music anymore. <laughs> but that was like a weird thing we had to do early on. 
Cherry Bounce on Saturday. What are some other shows you have slated out for the rest of the summer? Let's see. I think we're closing out the summer with a couple of more shows regionally. We just got back from doing a couple of shows in Atlanta that were really awesome and Florence, South Carolina. But actually, um, next week we're playing at Raleigh again. Um, I was totally destroying it. Invited us to um, play with them at Chattanooga next Thursday, the 5th, I believe. And then on the 6th, we're playing at the Nightlight in Chapel Hill with our friend Lovecraft from here in Winston-Salem and the Dirty Little Heaters, who we love and who we've been playing with throughout the years in their various um, lineup and incarnations. Um, and then we have a couple. We have a Greensboro and Winston show after that, but um, that, that'll, that'll pretty much close out the summer. How did you get involved with 307 Knox Records? Well, we've been uh, in touch with them and friends with them for a while. And, like, you know, back in the day, like, when Melissa was a drummer for the Dirty Little Heaters, um, she was, and Melissa is, uh, you know, half, Alicia's the other half of, of the label. Um, Melissa has always been a really big advocate for us, and she had put us on one of their, like, early compilations. I mean, I've been one of our demo recordings. And just um, between her and um, David and Shirley, who were Dirty Van, who are now in Free, Free Electric State, like, just kind of got us involved with the Durham musical community, and it kind of became like our home away from home. And it just, you know, as time kind of went on, and she would always include us in Troika. I think we played Troika like four years. Um, it just kind of made sense that, um, you know, 307 Knox Records would be our home since, you know, we had had such contact with them throughout the years. And since Durham, you know, based out of Durham, and Durham had been such a good town for us, and we have so many, like, good, you know, band friends over there. Um, that just worked out, and I guess a little, you know, over, uh, I guess now, like a year and a half or so ago, you know, we just started talking about the possibility of doing it, and we're friends with Mitch Easter, because he, you know, his studio's in Kernersville, it's not too far from here in Winston-Salem, and it just all kind of kind of came together that we could, like, kind of make something happen, and, you know, we've been fiercely, like, you know, DIY for a while, but um, we, we quickly realized that, you know, the, the advantage is still, you know, in, in today's, you know, in, in, in today, that you still get a lot of, um, there's a lot to be said for working with, um, you know, a strong, like, small record label, for sure. It's been, really, it's been a really good thing. Have you noticed an impact that being in a heavy era of DIY music, how labels have changed the way they do business? Or at least the smaller labels? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think so. I think so. Right. They're going at it as more of, like, I don't know, the labels are, like, yeah, like, little communities on their own. I mean, first off, like, what, they're, you know, Labels like Zero Seven Knox Records, like Church Key and stuff, are kind of community based. Although they do pull from, like, you know, outside their areas too. Um, but they're like, you know, trying to like throw events, like in you know, in the town to kind of get people like working together. And I know like our labels trying to have more like, you know, meetings and cross collaborations between different people on the label. And you know, it becomes like kind of, uh, um, you know, it's yeah, being thought of differently than just like, okay, we give you this money, you will give us this product you owe us you know it's not like cut and dry it's more of like you know it's kind of like comes like kind of like a, a family which is really good and every you know so you have like a network of bands and you know individuals helping each other out and it's good i mean and they still are doing all the other you know great stuff that you know labels you know do as far as you know getting you a little more distribution and helping to facilitate you know getting out there and getting college radio airplay i mean that's been a really great thing you know we've got airplay like all over um it's definitely been really nice and something we wouldn't have been as likely to do on our own, you know, especially, you know, outside of, like, our region. I mean, though we've, like, toured plenty um, just to get, you know, it's hard for, like, you know, to ask you a two-piece to get, like, five or six hundred pieces of mail out all at once. And, like, you know, a label with a lot of love behind it can do that for you, you know. So it's good. It's a good thing. 
And once again, Jews and Catholics kicking off the music portion of the Cherry Bounce Festival this Saturday afternoon uh, downtown at 1230 at 14 East Hargett Street, right in front of the Raleigh Times. You just planning on sticking around after you get done playing? I think we are. We're gonna, we're, we are going to stick around. Uh, my bandmate has a split. She has somewhere to be later that night. But me and uh, my family will be around, hanging out, checking out the other bands, and probably kicking around Raleigh because we love any excuse to be like. of the Cherry Balance Music Festival will be on Saturday, July 31st on the Music and Mayhem stage outside of the Raleigh Times on 14 East Hargett Street. The lineup includes Shoes and Catholics at 1230, Bright Young Things at 145, North Elementary is playing at 3 o'clock, Lake Inferior will be on at 415, I Was Totally Destroying is doing a Cape Crusader set at 6 o'clock, Bomba Stereo takes the stage at 815, and Javelin closes the non-after-party portion of the festival at 945. I'm Jacob Downey. This has been Hear This on Eye on the Triangle. Thank you very much to Jews and Catholics, Eddie Garcia, for being with us this evening. Wolfpacker of the Week on Eye on the Triangle. A spotlight on those who go above and beyond. This week's Wolfpacker of the Week is actually a trifecta. Graduates Scott Heath, Corey Livengood, and Walden Rain spoke to me about a three-week-long game coming up in August called Raleigh Wars. So, Scott, pretend I've never heard of Raleigh Wars before. What is it? Well, Tommy, Raleigh Wars is Raleigh's premier water gun assassins game, which means... Uh, <laughs> Which means, uh, as a water gun assassins game, it's your duty to uh, to assassinate your target with a water weapon of your choice, whether it be a water gun, a water balloon, it could be a straw filled with water, anything in particular. But while you're hunting your assigned target, there's another assassin that's coming after you. And eventually we weed it down little by little until only one ultimate assassin remains. How did you first hear about Rally Wars? Uh, I first heard about Raleigh Wars through a friend of mine, Matt Huffman, who was actually a prior Ultimate Assassin, and uh, he went home with a golden gun, which we award to all Ultimate Assassins. Played the following round. It sounded really excited when I heard about it, and it definitely was. It was a pretty intense three weeks of you know espionage and water guns, and you know after the first game, I was definitely hooked. I've played it every time since. So presently, what is your connection? Presently, I'm working with Walden and Corey here to make this round five the best round of Raleigh Wars we've had yet. And uh, I've done a lot of work with Corey in revamping the website, you know, adding a fresh coat of paint, um, doing marketing, posters, flyers, talking to sponsors, setting up awesome new prizes for the assassins who, uh, who win and go home with our coveted superlative awards like Most Ruthless and Most Creative. Are there any restrictions on weapons? Is there any limit to anyone's creativity as far as weapons go? As far as weapons go, you have to use a water weapon that has a self-contained water supply. So that means, you know, no hoses or sprinklers, but you can use, you know, water guns, water balloons. You can probably even use koosh balls. We had a little question about that. There's a little pool ball. Sure, that definitely works. Um, one, of the, one of the best instances of somebody getting pretty creative with a weapon is uh, Wildo Mofo uh, was in a bar, spotted his target, 
bought a glass of or you know got a glass of water with a straw and you know started making casual conversation with her and then just you know put his finger over the straw and then dropped a a deadly little stream you know betwixt her boobies and that's just you know how that's how you got to roll sometimes <laughs> how many people played in those previous rounds what was the total assassin pool i guess well, in the most recent round, uh, we had 54 assassins, and our next game starts uh, this Sunday, and we already have 76. So we still have about four days left for people to register, and uh, we're hoping to break 100, and I think we have pretty good chances. You're a two-year veteran. There must be some good stories in there. What's your favorite Raleigh Wars story? One of my favorite Raleigh Wars stories actually involves one of this year's sponsors, uh, Jimmy John's. They're going to be... Uh, giving us a bunch of free food for the decadent assassin's ball that concludes the game. Uh, but anyway, last round, I had just taken out an assassin, um, you know, typed in his kill code, got my new target, and uh, I ordered some Jimmy John's and had it delivered to the house. And I got my sandwich, I went to the table, un- unrolled it, and a note fluttered to the table. It was a small slip of paper, and, and I picked it up, and there was a handwritten uh, bit of text on it, and it said... Roses are red, violets are blue. Enjoy your last meal. I'm coming for you. Did you lose your appetite, or did you finish the sandwich? Oh, I I laughed out loud. I mean, it was one of the it was one of the most exciting things to happen. I mean, there's lots of other stories about that, but that was definitely one of the best, just poignant moments that kind of sums up what Assassins is all about. Just that creative, elusive, clandestine kind of fun that we all like to have. All right, so Corey, tell me about um, your connection to Raleigh Wars. Uh, like Scott, I heard about the game through the same person, uh, Matt, and uh, we, you know, I, I played uh, the next round and was lucky enough to win that particular round, so I'm also a former Ultimate Assassin. I think it's important everyone knows that. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, I played the, the round after that and, and failed miserably. I uh, was killed by my own roommate uh, at Landmark, so, you know. Funny thing, same thing happened to Matt Huffman, right? Yeah, there's an Assassin's Curse, uh, so... You know, beware, the winner usually doesn't make it very very far in the next game. Anyway, now I'm uh, mainly doing marketing uh, and some of the design work for the new website and the, you know, logos and flyers and that kind of thing. So you also are a two-year veteran. What's your favorite story? Yeah, when I, you know, I first started playing the game, my target was a, um, a stranger. It's one of the fun things about the game is meeting people you've never met under sort of ridiculous circumstances. But anyway, he worked at Red Hat, so I spent a good two days... Uh, sort of with binoculars in the Red Hat parking lot, like watching him leave, um, you know, and figuring out what car he drove and, like, where he liked to go. So uh, ended up, you know, going to finally make the kill, and he, of course, had left early that day, and I was really bummed. Uh, I was like, you know, this is the only chance I have. So I, you know, decided, you know what, what, what the hell, I'm going to go check Ruckus Pizza because I had found out that that was his favorite bar. So I drive over there, and there it is. There's his car, BMW, Red Hat sticker. I'm like, oh, he's here. So I walk in, sit down next to him at the bar, actually introduce myself. His eyes get kind of funny, and I shoot him. And, uh, you know, we share a beer and have a laugh, and, you know, I go home and enter the code. It's just uh, I kind of like getting strangers more than I like getting my friends. <laughs> so what, what's the application deadline, and when does it start, and when does it end? Uh, the game will begin this uh, Saturday at midnight. Uh, which is the 1st, August 1st, <clears throat> August 1st, and it will end on the 21st with the Assassin's Ball at White Collar Crime. Uh, you've got to be at the ball to win. You don't have to be at the ball to play, but you do need to be there by 9 o'clock to be eligible to win the game. So, you know, mark that on your calendars if you're playing. You've got three weeks. You know, have fun. 
Are there any interesting loopholes or like special tricks, stuff that people don't know about? Uh, these two guys in the studio with me were very fond of uh, using umbrellas as shields, and that's uh, often <laughs> um, often ignored rule. That is, it's legit to use an uh, umbrella as a shield. There's no bulletproof vest, um, you know, as in rain jackets, but shields are completely legit, uh, although frowned upon by uh, some. <laughs> there, there has been an interrogation at the end of every single game, and uh, you can never really, it's hard to tell who wins because it's just so much mayhem at the end, and uh, my friend uh, Drew, the interrogator, interrogated both Corey and Scott at the end of uh, round three, I believe it was. So you have Drew, the interrogator, who's responsible for interrogating. Who who actually is there? Is there an ultimate arbiter of truth of Rally Wars? Is there a grand master who will settle all the issues? Uh, we actually settle all uh, disputes. Um, the game master settles all those. Uh, at the end of the game, we have a tribunal co- council, though, because uh, one person is not impartial enough to decide the ultimate assassin. Scott? Um, yeah, an interesting loophole that actually uh, pretty pretty good, particularly on Corey's part for the year he won, is uh, we'll do different game types sometimes. This round is round robin, uh, which is I think is one of the more exciting ones because you know who you're after, but you don't know who's after you. But we played mutual interest one time where you have two targets, and, and you also know who's after you. And Corey and I got each other right off the bat and just went back to back eliminating everyone, you know, from the outside in. And it certainly proved helpful. I mean, Corey won. I came in second. I would say it's a contested second, though. <laughs> I mean, you know, if we could... I, I played that moment in my head at the last Assassin's Ball over and over again of when everything went down. And I tell you, it's those moments that really want to make you play again, you know, just, oh, God, if I just shot him a little quicker, if I just had that water balloon. Um, though the Assassin's Ball that time happened at a buddy... Uh, at a friend's place, um, the manor, for those of you in the know. And uh, there was three of us at the end, and, uh, you know, I I rushed into a room and and shot the one guy, and he kind of shot me at the same time, and there was kind of this dispute, and then I was just, you know, here comes Corey around the corner, and honestly, like, uh, it was either going to be me or Corey that won. I was going to let this third interloper, you know, take the ultimate assassin's prize. And so I just, you know, Corey shot me, and then it was kind of all over. It was, you know, everything was done. And I was like, well, if, it, if that's how it's got to be, that's how it's got to be. But, man, every year that golden gun is coveted for a reason. So I'm curious, have there been any uh, romances spurned by Raleigh Wars? Uh, actually, there was one. Uh, my brother, in fact, um, stalking this girl. Uh, she was stalking him. We were playing mutual interest, so they were both assigned each other. And, yeah, they met in the bushes, and... <laughs> started uh started dating after the game uh yeah didn't last long but yeah. <laughs> they are they are, they are uh, ruthless assassins after all right so you're expecting all these people this year um higher amount than you had in years past how how are you gonna change the game mode so as to eliminate more people in the same period of time well, we usually uh, we, we actually do this every time, but it's it's definitely more important this time than ever because of the volume. Um, what happens near the end of or well, let me start at the beginning, I guess. Uh, about a week into the game, if you haven't attempted a kill, uh, uh, you know, or you know, successfully or unsuccessfully, as long as you've gone there and tried, you know, we're willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. But if you haven't attempted a kill, we'll send the rogue hit squad after you. Uh, it's basically a group of people, often composed of uh, people who've already died and want to keep playing, and they uh, th- they'll hunt you down uh, on behalf of the game master, 
if you kill any one of the hit squad members, uh, just hit one of them, then you're back in the game and they'll all leave you alone. They never leave a man behind. Uh, so that's how that'll work. Um, so, you know, no campers. If you're going to sign up, you better play or they're coming for you. Anyway, um, towards the end of the game, if there's a lot of people left, and there usually are, um, we'll start what's called melee mode, which uh, releases all surviving assassins' information to all other surviving assassins. Basically, every man for himself, every woman for himself, anybody's a target, everyone's vulnerable. And that, that really weeds out a lot of the, uh, the players, you know, you know, you can go after anyone you want. And then uh, at the Assassin's Ball, you've got to be there by 9, and uh, it's in melee mode, so any assassin there can kill any other assassin there until there's one left. So what, what is new this year? You said you tried to make this the biggest, best Rally Wars ever. What's new this year? Probably the, uh, the, the biggest inclusion this year is definitely the help of a lot of really great sponsors. Uh, PBR has been with us from the start. They're going to be providing uh, beer for all assassins and registered guests. Um, you'll get a, I think you'll likely get a, you know, a nice souvenir PBR Raleigh Wars Cup that you're going to have at the uh, Assassin's Ball. Jimmy John's is providing a lot of the food, but one of the biggest um, additions is uh, a long list of prizes. And uh, the Independent has been really great, and they've offered us eight club wristbands. For hopscotch, and we're going to give those out. We're going to give two out to the ultimate assassin, and we're going to give two out to most kills, second most kills, and third most kills. So you have four opportunities to win hopscotch tickets. But in addition, they're also giving us a bunch of gift cards uh, for Converse, and uh, Empire Eats is even throwing in some gift cards to some of their you know primo dining establishments. So uh, we're hoping the ultimate assassin, as well as some of the others, will have dinner for two on Empire. Cool, sounds good. So anything to wrap it all up, the URL is RaleighWars.com. Simple enough to navigate. You should definitely sign up. There's no reason not to sign up. If you're worried about it, if you think, oh, I can't handle this, you know, this feeling of someone trailing me on my back, somebody behind me, every corner I have to, you know, look over my shoulder, then then one, what's your problem? That sounds awesome. And two, you know, worst case scenario, you pay 10 bucks, you get shot, you go to a party, you meet a lot of cool people. And then that's really all there is to it. Just, you know, sign up, RaleighWars.com, go get your water guns and have some fun. And I'm definitely signing up, so I'll see you guys there. Um, well, thank you very much for coming in, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you heard it here, Raleigh Wars, the city's premier water gun assassin game. Full details, sign-up information is all available at RaleighWars.com. For Eye on the Triangle. Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. Your local arts news. The Natural Science Museum's screening of Flash Gordon on Friday, August the 6th, won't be the only thing bringing science fiction enthusiasts to downtown Raleigh. That weekend, the 5th through the 8th, the Raleigh Convention Center is hosting the 10th occasional North American Science Fiction Convention. Eye on the Triangle spoke with the convention chair, Warren Buff, about what to expect in our corner of the solar system that weekend. Thanks for being up here, Warren. The first full weekend of August, Raleigh is hosting the NASFIC. What is that? Uh, it's the North American Science Fiction Convention. It's a large science fiction convention that it only happens when the World Science Fiction Convention goes overseas. So it's happened about ten times since 1975. We're the 10th here in Raleigh. When I think sci-fi convention, I instantly think of scenes like last week's San Diego Comic-Con, people wandering around open-floored exhibit halls and peculiar costumes, maybe the more rational ones in their stormtrooper best foaming at the mouth. 
for spoilers about their pop, pulp culture passions. Is that what we should expect at the Nasfic? Well, we're, we're still going to have some of what those have, although not quite on the same scale. You know, we, we don't have Hollywood in our backyard like San Diego does. But we are focused a little bit more on the literary and artistic side of things. Uh, the, the main draw will be authors and artists and various creative people around science fiction. What are these artists getting together to discuss? Some of the discussions will will focus on various kinds of writing, what kinds of questions they answer and ask when when they're writing science fiction. So some people might be interested in the singularity, which the the idea there is that there's something that comes after humanity, that our technology reaches a point that life just isn't the same anymore. Some people might be in the more traditional space opera or sword and sorcery veins of things. And then sometimes they'll just talk about how they write. Uh, the the artists will also talk about their their craft and uh, lots of panel discussions and some workshops along the way. We've, we'll have a writers workshop uh, where several authors will work with aspiring writers. They'll produce a, a writing sample in the workshop and then get feedback on it. Who are some of the guests that you expect to be at the convention and participating in the panel discussions? Well, our guest of honor uh, is Eric Flint, the author of the sixteen thirty two series. We've also got an artist guest of honor, Brad Foster, uh, who's does a lot of cute little robot designs, and uh, his artwork is featured prominently in our advertising and will be at the convention as well. Uh, our fan guest of honor, Juanita Coulson, has been known for the fan writing she's done and also for some of the music she's played over the years. And then our, our Toastmaster, uh, Tony Weisskopf, is the editor uh, publisher of Bane Books, which is based out of Wake Forest. With this convention, there seems to be a large emphasis on the concept of fandom. Can you explain the difference between an enthusiast and a fan? For me, at least, a fan is somebody who is interested enough in science fiction to want to discuss science fiction with others. An enthusiast just enjoys it. Hosting the NASFIC can be very competitive, with different groups bidding on the right to steward the event. In fact, this is the first time since Atlanta's 1995 Confederation of the Southern United States has had a NAFSA. What made the Triangle in downtown Raleigh in particular an ideal spot for the event? We've got some great facilities downtown between the convention center, the Marriott, and the Sheridan. Uh, they're either new or recently renovated, and they're they're great for hosting a large convention like this. Uh, also, RDU is a great airport. You can get all over the place with it. You know, folks really do come in from all over. We've got folks coming in from the U.K., Canada, the West Coast, and you add to that that we have the three major research universities here, and it just makes it kind of a slam dunk. I mean, there's a lot of science interest on top of the science fiction. What are some things that make this event unique? What are some things that help it stand apart? There's more of a family reunion feel to it. Uh, we, we tend to bring a little bit of, well, our reputation for Southern hospitality to bear on it. And I think that you, you do have a little bit more of a... Of a you have a broader political spectrum, I think, in the South, particularly in Raleigh. We're sort of the new South at this point, as opposed to areas that are very entrenched one way or the other. And that does come into play in discussions of literature, for better or worse. Uh, we've got the the Chesley Awards, which are the awards of the Association of Science Fiction Artists. The, those awards are chosen by the artists themselves. And so it's, it's really the people who are creating science fiction art are saying, these are the folks we think did the best work. 
then we'll, we'll also on Saturday night have the masquerade, which is a large costume contest, uh, very presentation oriented. And we're, we're hoping to have some high level competition there. If you wanted to pregame a little bit before going to the con, what are some hot discussions in science fiction right now? I think, uh, a lot of people have over the years, uh, you know, first you had very heated discussions of, of race and science fiction and then gender and science fiction. And sometimes it's just this very basic idea of what is the value of humanity. And you'll get people on one side of the argument who write these beautiful but kind of nihilistic stories. And on the other side, you've got folks who, who may tell grittier less literarily significant stories, but who really have this abiding faith in the goodness of humanity. And you can really see a clash between these two styles. If there is a happy medium to be had, where is it? Well, those would generally be the folks that are considered the best writers. Uh, you know, you, you'll get folks... Uh, Neil Gaiman is generally considered to be a a top-level writer. Uh, of course, he's well-known even outside of science fiction fandom. Well, that brings up an interesting question. A writer like that I would describe as fantasy, or if you're looking for a more pretentious term to get away with discussing it academically, magical realism. How does the convention define science fiction? Well, I think a lot of us say science... When we say science fiction, we very broadly mean speculative fiction. And that term itself gets kind of loaded. But really, it's it's... Fiction that asks what if, even if it's what if magic was real. Uh, we, we aren't a, some people do get very uptight about it has to be based in firm, realistic science. And there's, that's another one of those contentious debates. Do we let the fantasy people in? And I've always decided, well, yes, some of the older fans did and some of the older fans didn't. And so that, that's been with us from right from the start. So the best way to get some more information on the convention? Is there somewhere to get some programming highlights, maybe a schedule of events? Our website is up at www.reconstructionsf.org. And sometime in the next couple of days, we should have our program up there. Reconstructionsf.org. Is there any significance for choosing that to be your website? Well, the, the SF is short for science fiction and well, reconstruction.org is already taken. The The conventions are usually individually named in addition to being the 10th NASFIC. Uh, we're reconstruction, uh, kind of making a double pun. Uh, usually you, you put the word con somewhere into the name of the convention if you can. And back when Atlanta had the World Con in 1986, they called it Confederation. And we sort of... We sort of made a joke on that. Well, what comes after Confederation? What are some of your goals or hopes for the weekend? Well, I'd hope that really this can help bring folks who've been heavily involved in science fiction fandom in the South together with folks from the rest of the country because there'd been a bit of a disconnect since that last NASFIC in 95. We're also hoping to bring in a newer and younger audience because they, there's, there has been some concern about the folks who are involved in fandom getting older. And, you know, I'm only 27, so I'm really on the young end of, of things here. And hopefully, 
those people that I've known at conventions who are my age will make up a decent representation of who comes. Science fiction is a theme that's prevalent in so many different mediums, uh, film, television, literature, paintings, T-shirt designs, backs of cereal boxes. What defines it as an art? I think that science fiction is very much a fiction of ideas, and that's a, that's a fairly common theme among folks who are interested in it. And as such, it works with many different forms of art, but there is that core speculation that carries over between them. That what if. If you would like more information on attending the Raleigh-hosted North American Science Fiction Convention, August 5th through the 8th, point your various cyberdecks to www.reconstructionsf.org. I'm Jacob Downing for Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. the triangles vip talking to people that matter thanks for tuning in to another episode of on the triangle on wknc 88.1 for this week's vip we decided to focus on north carolina's growing hispanic population according to the u.s census bureau in 2009 more than 60,000 hispanic immigrants lived in north carolina 7.4 percent of the north carolina population many immigrants are trying to integrate more into the community and educate people and Actually, recently, the Mexican consulate started a program with El Pueblo that offers immigrants health care advice. Um, another organization in Durham, Keep Durham Beautiful, has been working with Latino churches and Latino organizations to work on community events. And they're actually going around Durham and cleaning uh, the streets and parks this Saturday. Um, so we wanted to go even more locally and to see what NC State is doing. And we have in the studio with us Joanna Bonegas and Adriana Cardinal de Casas from Mi Familia. How's it going? Hello, I'm doing good. How's everyone going? <laughs> doing? Hey, how's everyone doing? Um, so why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you do with Mi Familia? Um, well, my name's Adriana and I'm actually the community chair. Um, so I'm kind of in the middle of planning all of our community events for the, the school year. And so far, um, we're for sure helping out with Fiesta del Pueblo, which is through El Pueblo. Um, we're doing the Hispanic Symposium, which is the first one um, on NC State campus ever. There's a grant that allowed us to do that, so we're taking advantage of that. Cool. And what is the first event that you the- were talking about? Fiesta del Pueblo, that's a two-day, so Saturday and Sunday event on um, the state fairgrounds. Okay. And that basically has different vendors, different performers. Um, there's a health fair, like for what you're talking about, the Latino Health Initiative. And it just kind of exposes North Carolina to Hispanic culture so other people are aware of um, the different the differences. Cool. And have you been involved with Mi Familia for a while? Yeah, Mi Familia is kind of what made me want to come to state. It was just really opening and welcoming to to everybody. And it kind of explained states, um, like diversity. And it, it was really, 
it was great. It was okay. it was a seller. What does Mi Familia do? Uh, Mi Familia is basically like a Hispanic organization on campus that is kind of like the umbrella organization because there's a couple other organizations under us. Um, we, like I said, welcome the students and we try and make them feel just like a family. You know, we, we help each other out in classes. We help each other out um, with our daily lives. If people need uh, somebody to talk to, we're always there. Okay. And what are some of the umbrella organizations that are underneath? Um, my name is Joanna Benegas. I'm a sophomore and I'm vice president for Mifamilia. And some of the things... Um, Joanna the- also works for a technician, full disclosure. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, some of the umbrellas under Mifamilia is um, SHIP, which is the um, Hispanic Engineering Science, um, uh, I guess, program or community um, for Latinos and people who want to join it, who are interested in the Latin culture. And we also have um, uh, a sorority um, that's underneath it. And we oh, have uh, uh, Lambda Pai Kai. They're an organization <laughs> on campus. And there is also Destino, which is a um, Latin Bible study group that they meet every Tuesday. Um, and um, Adrian, do you think there's anything else? Oh, we have an interested ladies group um, for Lambda Theta Alpha. Yeah, we have that too. Okay, cool. So, um, so why why do you think it's important to have these groups on campus? Why is Mi Familia important? Uh, well, Mi Familia is important because um, there's only 3% of Hispanics at NC State University. And by having this um, organization on campus, we're exposing Latin culture, Latinos to other people who might be interested in um, coming to NC State. And so that's why it's important because many people aren't aware of what Latinos are doing around North Carolina, around um, United States and globally. So when people come here, they see um, how diverse NC State is because NC State does value diversity. And they see how um, Latinos are exposing the culture to other people on campus. And it's for anybody who loves or appreciates the Latin culture. It doesn't have to be like, you know, for Hispanic. It could be for anybody. So Okay. And Jenny, you said that you came to state because of me, Familia. Did you look at other schools and they just didn't have, you know, similar programs or what? What was it about me, Familia? Um, to be honest, like I didn't really look as I guess I didn't really do my research into the other schools like I should have. But I was invited to Latino Visitation Day, um, which is kind of like for the seniors that have already been accepted or the Latin seniors that have already been accepted to state and are kind of making their decisions. And I think taking that time to come and see what me, Familia had to offer and the people just their personalities, it kind of made me think that, you know, like a lot of people think that Hispanics are a bunch of partiers and, you know, they just like to have a good time. But these kids or students, um, I guess we'd call them now, um, they knew how to have a good time but be responsible with their studies and they were having like honor rolls or the dean's list and there was Caldwell Scholars, people, like all these different things that were amazing with these students that I just, I wanted to be a part of. Definitely. So the Keep Durham Beautiful event that I was talking about, I actually talked to one of the organizers um, this week, and he said one of the reasons that he really thought this event was important was because um, following some, like, some recent negative comments from the Johnson County Sheriff, he felt like it was really important for the Hispanic population in Durham to kind of you know, come out and be like, this is not who we are and this is 
you know, this is what we do. Um, what, how do you feel like Mi Familia fits into that? Well, Mi Familia works to, um, different organizations around the Raleigh area, such as the Pueblo, which is a nonprofit organization, which is the largest one in North Carolina, um, that works, that strengthens the Latino community. And me and Gianna has been volunteering for that organization for the past four years now. And so, um, with, uh, Pueblo connected with Mi Familia, um, we try to, I guess, like like through me from through La Fiesta de Pueblo, we want the positive aspect of the Latino community exposed to um, the overall, like over North Carolina. And there's also different, like let's say, um, bills in Congress, um, Arizona bill. There's the Dream Act, which is a legislative bill that gives um, Latino uh, any illegal immigrant student a pathway to citizenship so what um, me and Adrian have been really involved in is passing those bills um, advocating being activists being I guess radicals on campus and off campus and showing people what we really want um, in Latino community because there's a lot of discrimination going on and so um, what we're doing is going to go in tutoring other students um, or participating in service rally and we're just doing th- like things like everybody else in the community so they can see that we're trying and we're exactly like everybody else so okay that sounds good and where can people get more information on your events or you know anything like that um people can contact the president or the vice president which is me um i guess i can say my email um my email is j-e-b-a-n-e-g-a at ncsu.edu um, okay cool and you have a website too right or um, we had a website. It might be down right now okay. just because it's summertime and we have like a new board. So it's being f- under, like it's being fixed. Um, but also ship is a national or ship is a society of Hispanic engineers. Um, they have a national website. It's ship one.org. Um, and you can get information about conferences, all kinds of different things. Destinos on Facebook. Everybody's on Facebook. If you were to look at it. Okay, that sounds good. And we'll uh, we'll post the website up when it's back up on wknc.org slash blog. Thanks for coming in. It's, Thank you. Thanks for having us. And that wraps up another episode of Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Make sure to check out the blog post show at wknc.org slash blog. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNCEOT and check out our podcast um, on iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook at Eye on the Triangle.